Before Sheila walks away, come here a minute, Sheila. I, I, I didn't. She, I mean, I, I bring Sheila back up here because, I mean, she dressed like me today. Okay, we're both wearing orange. But look, it, it goes further. She chose the exact same scripture reference that I have for us today. So I guess the message is done. We can all go home. I think that happened once. Yeah. We turn to Thessalonians today as Sheila was with the children. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we read verses 16 through 18. And we've already heard a portion of that as it's been read. But today we go a little deeper into talking about how Paul tells the Thessalonians, in everything, give thanks. As Sheila mentioned to the children, this Thursday is the official day of Thanksgiving. It is a day, if you will, in which we typically go about overeating. Or at least I seem to overeat every year at Thanksgiving. And for a lot of us then, this Thursday, we'll be having what is maybe the traditional Thanksgiving meal, which may be turkey, right? Maybe ham, all right? Then maybe mashed potatoes, carrots, green beans. Anybody getting hungry yet? It's almost lunchtime, you know. If we don't have those things and maybe those kind of vegetables, maybe we'll have carrots. Does anybody have yams at Thanksgiving? Yeah? We had them once? You had them once? Yeah? Oh, I don't really do yams much. But then, of course, all that is mixed in the cranberry sauce and the hot rolls. But maybe the best part for me of Thanksgiving is the dessert, right? we got to have the pies. So we'll have a variety of pies. It seems traditional to always have pumpkin pie, right? For me, pumpkin pie, I got one word. Yuck. I don't do a lot of pumpkin, all right? So the other uh, pie that sometimes, that or cobbler that seems to go along Thanksgiving, is sometimes peach. And I'll say, no thank you. Because I don't do peach pie, I don't do peach cobbler. No. If you're going to have peaches, just have some peaches. You don't need them mixed into a cobbler. But if I am going to be at Thanksgiving this Thursday, what I hope is on the dessert menu is pecan pie. Yeah, we need some pecan pie. If not, then maybe some cherry or some apple. Do we have all that then to indulge in for Thanksgiving? That's more the traditional style. And then we can eat and eat and eat. That's Thanksgiving. We eat some and then we watch a little football. Maybe we'll do some board games, share some memories, maybe even take a nap, wake up, and start eating again, right? That's how Thanksgiving traditionally goes, at least where I've been involved in Thanksgiving. But I recognize something, and I want to share this with you, is that this year, Thanksgiving is going to look a lot different probably for most people. It may not be that traditional type of Thanksgiving that we're so used to. The meal still may be the same to some extent, but for me, for personally, me example, we, we go to my sister's house for Thanksgiving every year. The large family I have, my brother, my sister, my, we all get together and go to my, my sister's house and we share the entire traditional Thanksgiving meal and then we'll, you know, we'll make fun of each other for a while and then we'll play some board games and we'll joke and relax, watch some football and eat again. All those things happen, but this year it's not going to happen. Because of all the things pertaining to the pandemic, 
Mom has told us it's best if we go have separate Thanksgivings this year. So we won't be in the same house at the same time for Thanksgiving that we're kind of used to. So I recognize then as things are developing, as things are happening, for a lot of people this year, Thanksgiving is going to look a lot different. I think of my cousin Lisa, who passed away last Friday, and how she loved Thanksgiving, and how she prepares heavily for Thanksgiving. So when her family meets this Thursday, yes, it's going to look much different. So things happen, and sometimes we get used to Thanksgiving in a particular way, but then sometimes we see things change, things happen, and Thanksgiving gets interrupted, but it still happens. And it shows that in all the things that we ever do for Thanksgiving, there's one thing that should always remain the same, and that is that we should be thankful. We should be thankful because we are still blessed, even in a year with a pandemic. When everything seems to be different or highly unusual for this year, we are still blessed. So what that means then is despite the things that has occurred this year or despite how Thanksgiving might be a little bit different, we still must set aside the time to give thanks. In fact, as Paul tells us today, we learn in everything we should give thanks. Yeah, the text today is a very familiar reading. I'm sure you've probably heard it multiple times, probably heard messages pertaining to these three verses multiple times. But today, we review these words once more as we prepare for Thanksgiving. So stand with me this morning, if you're able to, as we read the words given to us pertaining from Paul to be thankful. I'm actually going to read from the, new, from the King James Version, which is highly unusual, but I like their reading the best. In the King James, verse 16, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it simply says, Rejoice evermore. Verse 17, Pray without ceasing. And in verse 18, which will be our focal point, In everything, in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Father, Lord, we come into your presence just very grateful, Lord, for the blessing of this day. And how then we can have a message today, Lord, that reminds us of how we are blessed and in how we should be thankful. So, Lord, today we just invite your spirit to reign and to lead and to guide us as we have this message today. And just let it penetrate our hearts to see how truly blessed and thankful we should be. I pray, Lord, for all of us then today, before we shall leave the church today to, to, to witness and, and to realize we're blessed people. And we have multiple blessings every day that we simply take for granted. So let us be thankful upon this day, this week, this month, and even in this year, which has been unusual. So lead and guide now, Lord, and receive the message you have for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, reading from the King James is just slightly unusual for me. I have referred to the King James upon multiple years at different times, but the English Standard Version is one of my favorites that we typically read from. And then I recognize how the wording is just slightly different. The King James, which we read from, and the New American Standard, both worded the same, where they say, in everything give thanks. But I recognize with the ESV, the NIV, and even the New Living Translation, They've worded this a little bit differently where they say, give thanks in all circumstances. 
Now, the differences that exist in translations, particularly these verses, really are minor. So we should not let the differences bother us in any way. Whichever is your favorite, grab it, read it, and, and be comfortable with it, because they all convey the same instruction, which is basically this, to give thanks. Give thanks. That's the words that Paul is essentially telling the Thessalonian believers, and for us in application today, is to give thanks. But as I recognize those instructions that Paul has given, narrowed down to just two words to give thanks, the question enters my mind is, why does Paul write these words? I mean, what is the occasion, the circumstances to prompt these Thessalonian believers that he's writing to, to be told to give thanks? So to answer, we go back to the beginning of this particular chapter and look further into some scripture. So we see then the answer is that he's actually very concerned, and they're very concerned with Thessalonian believers themselves, about what has happened to their their, their loved ones who has died and moved on, and they're even more concerned about the coming day of the Lord. In verse 1, as you look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul alludes to a previous conversation he's had with the Thessalonians. He's had a visit with them before, so he alludes to the conversation in the, that they've had previously. Then in verse 2, he specifically tells them, the day of the Lord which they're concerned about, will come like a thief in the night. And in verse 4, he adds that all the believers are aware. He says, you're not in darkness, as in the day will not be a surprise to them. And we've heard this in recent weeks. Matthew chapter 24, verse 36 reminds us that no one, no one knows the day, the time, the hour. People are greatly concerned and very curious today and then. But he tells them they should not be surprised. They do not live in darkness. In verses 8 and 9 of this particular chapter, he takes an opportunity to assure the believers that they belong to the day of the Lord. Which means then he's referring to the rapture. The day of the Lord is referring to the rapture and how those who profess Christ as Lord and Savior will be caught up in the twinkling of an eye, thereby missing the days of wrath that we place upon the earth, upon all those who are left behind who have not made the public profession of Jesus as Lord and Savior. So, therefore, he's writing to these concerned, worried Thessalonian believers as they're curious about when the day of the Lord will be and when he will return, and also curious about those who preceded them in death. But he's telling them essentially that they have nothing to worry about that the Lord shall return, and in the midst of the time we're waiting, he tells them in verses 11 through 15 some more basic instructions. He tells them in verse 11 to encourage each other. He tells them in verse 12 to have respect for one another. In verse 13, he tells them to make sure they express love, to be peaceful. Verse 14, he essentially tells them to help the weak, to be patient with others. And in verse 15, he says, do not do evil, but rather do good. And furthermore, then our reading today, if we go back now to where we started, verse 16, he, he tells the readers of his letter to simply rejoice. Verse 17 says to be encouraged through prayer. And in verse 18, again, our focus that we have today is to give 
things. To give things. So in other words, the reason that Paul is writing this moment, at this moment to this letter, is to the believers to become with the unknown and their fear. Are we all concerned about the unknown? Don't we sometimes get fearful of the unknown? Of the day of the Lord and his return? You see, the people here had friends and families. Not only were they concerned about their preceding people who are the people who preceded them in death, and not only are they curious about that day of the Lord and his return, they have also now firsthand seen either themselves or their family being severely persecuted. We hear about all the persecution that seems to always exist in the early part of Christianity, still exists today. But they were seeing it firsthand or experiencing it. So as they were experiencing it, they were needing some assurance that the Lord's return to help their family and concerned about their loved ones. And through all the persecution, Paul recognizes that they have been standing firm, unwavering in their faith, and become an example to others. In the beginning of this particular letter, he recognizes that. Where he adds and tells them in the beginning, he says, you became imitators of me in chapter 1, verse 6. Imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. So all that Paul is indicating to them, they have nothing to be concerned about. They have nothing to be worried. Yeah, there is the unknown and the fear associated with that, but they have nothing to be concerned about. So Paul basically instructs the Thessalonians then not to be concerned, but to rather give thanks. To give thanks in everything. That God has given them the hope of his coming, and he will return as promised. In the day, the time, the hour is unknown. But he will return as promised. And that's something that we should be thankful for. Because life gets difficult. Life gets hard. But as life begins to get difficult, we should be dwelling on the fact that there will be a day in which he will call up his church. He will welcome us home. And that type of thankfulness is what I describe as 24-7. Every day we can be thankful for the fact that the Lord will return for his church. Christ will return as promised for his church. And it leads then to our first point here this morning, and that is this, that we can be, we can be very thankful knowing that Jesus will return for those who have been born again. He will return for his children. You know, in this particular letter, as you go back and maybe read it all later, Paul is giving them also assurance that this truth that he will return for his children, for those who have been born again, he's given them this truth, pertains not only to them as they were living at that moment, as they received that letter alive at that time, but he also told them that it would apply to all the people who preceded them in death. And I know that any time we begin to speak about death, it's a very delicate and difficult subject matter. It's hard anytime, but it's even maybe more hard right before the holidays. So Paul then is telling them 
And then they weren't about to celebrate Thanksgiving like we are this week. But he's telling them, he's giving them assurance that they need not be concerned that, that, they, that Jesus will return for all the people, even those who proceeded in death. Now, as we talk about that, then we need to see that death is something that we don't find pleasure to talk about. Nobody enjoys talking about the death of a loved one. But Paul is giving them some assurance. He's giving them some hope. He's giving them to something to be thankful for. And Paul, as I read his letter, as he's explaining that to the Thessalonian believers, he tells them, as I interpret that for me personally, that my dad, who died in December of 2003, one week after Thanksgiving, he tells me that my dad will receive his resurrected body to be reunited with his soul, which is already in heaven. And I can find thankfulness in that. I can find joy in that. That, that he will even precede me. If I'm still alive at the day of the rapture, my dad will precede me. Paul is telling them about the hope that they have with the people they're concerned about. And then they should be thankful that they will see their loved ones once more. And as it applies to me personally and for all of us, we should be very thankful for that fact and that truth. I mean, I am very thankful that Jesus prepares a place for each and every one of us. John chapter 14, verse 3, tells us that he has indeed prepared a place for each and every one of us, at least for those who profess him as Lord and have been born again. Now, do I miss my father? Yes, absolutely. He died, in my estimation, way too early on December 5th of 2003. So I miss him. And I maybe even miss him more this time of the year because our family loves to hunt together. This is deer season. We would always hunt together. No matter where I was living, I'd be living in Mississippi, Missouri, or Texas, I would come back and be with Dad and we'd hunt together during a particular time of, of the firearm season in Indiana, which occurs now. And on the land we hunt on, that my family still hunts on, I, I have those memories of Dad when I go back to that place. So yeah, do I miss him? I miss him greatly because we have those memories together of our first hunt and even his last hunt. But while it is sad then that I miss my dad, he's not with me here on earth, I still can be very thankful that he is in heaven and that I will see him again according to these words that Paul is writing to these believers. So as we approach Thanksgiving, we should be thankful. And we should even write it down to be very thankful because we can be thankful to every day of the year that Jesus is coming for each and every one of us and that we will see our loved one again. I can be thankful in that. I can even find joy in that. I can look forward to that. Now, having said that, I also recognize this, that there are people today who don't get that at all. For a person who has not accepted Jesus as Lord, when I say I look forward to that day to see my father, it sounds grim, it sounds sober, and to them it's completely unhelpful. And that's because they do not understand that there is a wonderful, beautiful life after our earthly life expires. There's this great place waiting for us. But they don't get that. They don't understand that. And to that person then who is lost in this world, I notice that they grieve way differently than we do. In the midst of sadness and sorrow, when we lose someone we love, we can still find joy. 
But they mourn differently because they mourn without hope. But what Paul's telling us in this letter to the Thessalonians is that we have assurance of this hope. We can be joyous. You know, for us who study the word, who come and receive it and believe it in its truthfulness, we know that there is comfort, there is joy in knowing the person we love is in the presence of the Lord and that one day we will be united again. As to some, it may seem odd to find joy in the midst of sorrow. But we know this, that God promises us that we have a reason to be thankful in the most painful time of our lives. I can't think of a more painful time in life than when you lose someone very close to you. But even in that particular moment, in that particular time, in that most painful day, we still even have reason to be thankful. The fact is, actually, that every one of us, most likely every one of us in this room listening this morning, has someone that we can look forward to to seeing again. But we can only see them if both they and we or you have placed your faith in Jesus. Our entire first point that we're making here again this morning is that we can be thankful knowing that Jesus will return for those who've accepted him as Lord, which even includes those who preceded us in death, which then leads to another reason that we can be thankful. Secondly, is that we can be thankful that God uses every circumstance for his glory. It's been said, maybe you've heard it before, that God wastes nothing. Nothing, particularly his word, ever comes back void. It has also been said over the years that everything happens for a reason. So we must believe that God can bring something good from something that we perceive as bad. Now, before we go into current examples to illustrate this, perhaps there's no better biblical example to illustrate how God can bring something good from something first perceived as bad than the story of Joseph. If you're familiar with the story of Joseph, you know it takes several chapters towards the end of Genesis. From Genesis chapter 37 all the way through chapter 50, we have the account and story pertaining to Joseph. And as you may know, Joseph was hated by each of his brothers. You remember Joseph had been given a very special coat of many colors by his father Jacob. And Joseph received that. I mean, as a teenager, young boy, he even taunted and teased his brothers a little bit by receiving this special coat, which led to then intense jealousy and hatred the brothers had towards Joseph. So much so, you may remember, if you know the story pertaining to Joseph, that the brothers seize an opportunity when the father Jacob sends Joseph out into the field to check upon his brothers. They see him coming, and the thoughts begin to process in their mind about what things they could do to Joseph. You may remember Judah was the one who wanted to kill Joseph, but the brothers did not kill him. What did they do instead? They placed him in a pit. Ultimately, they were removed from the pit and sold to the Ishmaelites. As the story goes, as it was sold to the Ishmaelites, he lands to the house of Potiphar and eventually then to Pharaoh. And as he is with Pharaoh, after all the bad things have happened to Joseph, 
The good thing is that he rises to second in charge of all of Egypt, only to Pharaoh himself. Which then God brings a famine upon all the land. And as the famine is severe, it requires that Jacob, Joseph's father, and all the brothers have to have grain to survive. The only place to get grain is in Egypt. So the brothers all go to Egypt, and who is there to sell them the grain? But Joseph. Of course, they don't recognize as Joseph. But the story tells us, as we eventually learn that God took something that appeared to be bad for Joseph, he used it as good. In Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph tells his brothers this. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. I mean, essentially, this passage, this story, Joseph conveys what the brothers meant to be bad, God used to bring as good. It's the entire theme of Romans 8, chapter 28, which says, We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, listen, in our church family, but there's few people here today, and that's part of the situation pertaining to COVID and pandemic. I've had many people express to me this week their thoughts concerning the things we're going through in our communities, per pertaining to schools, businesses, and so forth, of how the fear seems to be rampant and how the numbers seem to be increasing. So we're looking this morning and seeing there's less people here today, and that is directly impact partly to COVID. So we see this year then has been highly unusual. This year with COVID, there has been people who have lost employment. There is people who have experienced financial stress. There's people in our midst today and those who may be listening later who had multiple surgeries this year. We have people in our church who indeed lost a loved one this year. So many different circumstances have occurred to all of us in a highly unusual, most difficult year. But God is still in control. And he can use all these types of things that we see happening every day to his glory. We can be thankful. We can be very thankful that God can use every life event for his glory and his purpose. Now, having said that, while that is certainly true, we should take a quick timeout. A timeout for a moment to make sure we ask ourselves a highly important question. Because as we see all this is happening, God's still in control, and all the things that's happened this year is the question that we're entertaining here. I mean, the message telling us to, in everything, give thanks. Does that mean that we should give thanks for every event that happens in life? I mean, because think about everything that's happened this year. I was looking at some things preparing for this morning, recognizing we've had more hurricanes this year in the Gulf than any time maybe ever. I, mean, I think there's been maybe 30 named storms this year. That's amazing. And so those hurricanes kept coming and kept coming and kept coming, and all the people kept seeing all these different things happening, the devastation and the death associated with one hurricane after the other. Should the people be thankful? In everything for the hurricane? If you heard the news 
I heard Saturday morning about a shooting at a shopping mall in Wisconsin. Fortunately, no one was killed, but eight people were injured. So are those people, then they hear Paul's words, if they're hearing this message somehow, some way, should they be thankful for the shooting that occurred at the shopping mall last Friday in Wisconsin? Again, the pandemic is all around us. We, we hear all we ever hear in the news. You never hear anything good that seems to be coming from all the things pertaining to the coronavirus. You hear about how many people every day, these new cases, and how many people have died. It's always negative, negative, negative. So should we then be thankful in everything for the pandemic? Or just other life situations in general. I mean, there's kidnappings, there's rape, there's people molested, there is divorce, there's jobless. All these things occur in life. So is the expression, in everything give thanks, as Paul was instructing the Thessalonian believers that we're unpacking for our lives here today, mean exactly that, to be thankful in each and everything? Because this is a great question. I mean, it's true that many bad things have happened to many good people in this church family and people you know in general this year as it does every year. And as it happens, it makes it extremely difficult to be thankful. So is Paul telling us in everything give thanks, meaning that we have to be thankful for every event and every single thing that occurs to us in life? The answer is this. That Paul was not teaching that we should thank God for every thing that happens to us, but in everything. Maybe it's a matter of semantics, but listen further, because evil does not come from God. And when evil begins to occur, then we should not thank God for the evil that's happening. But yet when evil does happen, and it will happen somehow, some way to all of us, when it strikes us, we still can be thankful knowing that God can use it for his purpose and his glory. Now, please understand that I'm not telling anyone that this is fair or easy. I mean, it's happened to me. Maybe it's much as it happened to you. I mean, no one is exempt from having events in life to suddenly catch you off guard and put you in a tailspin. It happens to everyone. I mean, I've shared with you before all the things pertaining to events of my father's death, how he had stage four cancer, didn't get to live a long time after that, and how he tragically died in December 5th, one week after Thanksgiving. I've shared with you before how everything I canceled in life except spending time with him that last month of October, November that he had in that particular year. So I've experienced death, as a lot of people have. I mean, I've also been in a situation where I have lost my job, resulting in a sudden, unexpected financial hardship. When we lived in Texas, when I got relief from being a plant manager at Pilgrim's Pride, hot water heater went out about a month afterwards. I didn't have enough money to buy a hot water heater. I've experienced that financial hardship that many people are having this particular year. I've sat with families that have grieved the loss of a loved one this year and years prior as a pastor. You see all these things and more. 
You sit with people who are nervous about the surgery, the cancer diagnosis they just received, an unexplained illness, the unexpected victim of a tragic automobile accident, and much more. So I understand. I see these things all the time, but so do you. I mean, it's not just being a pastor, which we see these things in life. Every one of us see these types of things in life. It either happens to us personally or someone we know. So it tells us it hurts. And it's hard to be thankful when those things occur. So what we have basically then is a lot of pain in life. You and I all understand pain because it hits us. It's a reality of life. So as we go back then to the question that we've partly answered, and we still have it kind of looming there, is Paul really expressing in everything to give thanks, even these horrible life events? I mean, take Paul himself, for example. How can he be joyous? How can he even express the words? So how then can we explain it? How can we muster up the strength to be thankful, to be joyful, especially at a holiday time when it seems that we must be thankful on Thanksgiving? How can we apply these three verses we read today from Paul when so much bad is happening all around us? I mean, how can we, in verse 16, be joyful? How can we, in verse 17, be encouraging through prayer? How can we, in verse 18, be thankful no matter what? That's the question that seems to be looming when you read this text. How how can we? How can we be thankful in the midst of things that's hitting us smack right in the face? Well, to answer the question, we partly answered, but now we turn to one of Paul's letters he's written to help us because Paul's not only the author of 1 Thessalonians, but he's two-thirds of the author of the New Testament. And I think it's very interesting that Paul is the one who's writing these words and now becomes the encourager in this letter, the one stating to these people in the midst of their persecution in every circumstance of their lives, which they've lost some loved ones, that they should be thankful. I find it interesting that Paul saying these words. It's very interesting that Paul is the author of such this letter when so many hard, difficult things have happened to Paul in his life. So maybe it's right that we hear the words of Paul because, I mean, he's been forced to make lemonade out of the lemons before. So we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and see some things that's happened to Paul and, and, and see how he can be joyous. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 24, he says, Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. He says, further, I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers. Danger from bandits. Danger from my own countrymen. Danger from Gentiles. Danger in the city. Danger in the country. Danger at sea and danger from false brothers. He said, finally, I have labored and toiled. I have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold 
and naked. All these things have happened to Paul in his life. So we, we hear these things and we think, well, maybe our life ain't so bad. Yeah, we have to experience certain things in life. We're going through a pandemic. We've lost some loved ones this year. We've had all kinds of financial difficulties this year. But have we been beaten with rods? Have we been stoned this year for our faith? So Paul sets an example for us. So the question really becomes, how does Paul do it? How does Paul remain joyous and thankful in the midst of the pain and the suffering that he has had in his life? Or, or maybe we just erase Paul and put ourselves in his predicament. How would you or I remain thankful for those things that's happened to us? Or the things that's happened to us now? How can we do it? How does Paul do it? And the answer then really is our third and final point. Is that thankfulness, the joyous spirit that Paul seemingly has, depends on his focus and his faith in God. It applies to all of us just the same. That thankfulness and the joyful spirit depends on our focus and our faith in God. Our faith. Yes, it is our faith in Jesus Christ. It's our faith that fuels us the capability of having joy in the midst of grief, sadness, and sorrow, or any difficulty in life. It's our faith in Jesus that gives us the ability to have joy. Our focus on Jesus and the sacrifice that he made for each and every one of us provides us the ability, the capacity. If we are to be thankful in everything, in all circumstances, it is only because we have Jesus. And he fuels us the capacity and the ability to be thankful in those most painful, difficult times. It's your faith and your focus that allows you and me to be joyful and to be thankful upon not just this week, but upon any time. I once read that one of the greatest privileges of being a Christian is to have the capacity to give thanks regardless of what happens. You see that behind me, you heard me say that. Let me say that one more time. One of the greatest privileges of being a Christian is to have the capacity to give thanks regardless of what happens. I never thought of it that way. It's a privilege. The greatest privilege of being a Christian, so it has been said, is to have the capacity to give thanks regardless of what happens to us in life. That's Paul. But it needs to be you and me as well. But also recognize as we have that privilege, we do not have any such capacity to have the ability to give thanks without Jesus. Just think about people you know that do not have Jesus. And it's highly likely they do not have a joyous spirit about themselves. And it's highly likely they not might be thankful for what happened to them. They cannot be thankful in everything, in all circumstances. But they do not have Jesus. And we, without Jesus, would not have the capacity to give thankfulness either. 
I mean, Jesus strengthens us when we are weak, which seems to be that we are extremely weak. He is always strong. On the bulletin today, Katina didn't know the message. She picked the bulletin today that said the verse that Paul wrote to the Philippians in chapter 4, verse 13, that applies to all of us, that I can do all things. I can be joyous. I can be thankful because it's Christ who gives me such strength and ability and capacity. Yeah, when we are weak, Christ is always strong. And he seems to be even stronger when we at our weakest. So I'm basically saying is this, that not one of us, not any one person in this room is strong enough to endure all life's events on our own. We can't do it. We can't. But God can. And we get such ability to be thankful and joyous only through Jesus. To get through a difficult day, week, month, year, 2020, to get through it. An unusual Thanksgiving may be upon us. It may be the same Thanksgiving you've always had. But anything that could happen in any part of this year, it is our faith that will get it through it. We can get through it. We can focus on Jesus and be thankful in the midst of any and every circumstance. That's essentially what Paul is saying. In everything, in everything, give thanks. In all circumstances, give thanks. And we can do so only because of Jesus. In every day of our life, we can always be thankful for Jesus. It's Jesus who gives us ability to be thankful on a highly unusual year. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this message. A text, Lord, perhaps we've heard multiple times, but yet maybe the right reminder we need today, Lord, to help us to be thankful upon this week, recognizing that we have gone through some things this year that might be highly unusual. So this text today, Lord, reminds us that we have the ability through Jesus to be thankful. So I pray, Lord, all of us receive this in this entirety, place it in our heart, dwell on it this week, and sincerely be thankful. Thank you, Lord. I thank you now for all the goodness you give to us. Let us dwell upon the good things and not those things that we perceive as bad. And recognize that you can even bring good out of that that we see as bad. So today, Lord, we're thankful. We're thankful today. We're thankful tomorrow. We're thankful this week. We're thankful this month. We're thankful for this year. It might sound crazy to some, but we're thankful, Lord. We're thankful for your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen.